Hello, 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 and thank you so much for pressing play on the latest edition of the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast, your weekly dip into the world's game being played right here in the Great Lakes State. How's it going? My name's Robert Kerr, and for our very special 100th episode of this program, I've welcomed on to share the episode, one of my very favorites in the area. Michigan Soccer Central is to the sport of soccer as Daily Detroit is to current events in Metro Detroit. Listeners, please lend your ears and welcome J.R. Stays. Hello, sir. And Fletcher Sharp. Hey, all. Of Daily Detroit to talk DCFC, celebrate the 100 years of soccer, and generally nerd out about the sport we love. So let's do it. So before we get into uh, talking a bit about these 100 episodes, and, and it's an absolute great accomplishment, Robert, I do want to talk a bit about kind of the state of soccer in Michigan. You know, listeners to Daily Detroit, they may not as much know, but I know the Michigan Soccer Central listeners know that the state of Michigan has so much soccer on so many levels. And it's a sport that, at least to me, Robert, is kind of on the rise. Oh, definitely. There's just so much to cover from uh, youth to collegiate to now in the recent years, professional. And so I I have to give a tip of the cap. Uh, The Michigan Soccer Central podcast is just kind of an extension of the online at Michigan Soccer Central social media platform where Dan Garnell really led the way. And we've got a kind of a network. There's a, a core of a four or five of us that really try to dig into it as much as possible. Most of us have side things that contribute to the brain of it. Like uh, Josh Hakla is another one of the founding members of Michigan Soccer Central. He's the senior editor of the cup.us and is a full-time journalist. So he adds that aspect. And Brooks Lambeer, he does scouting in his side job and he contributes. And to be fair, I have to give kudos to Michigan Soccer Central followers on Instagram. We've just hit the 9,000 follower mark on Instagram and over 8,500 on Facebook. And so many times, a lot of the information we get is from messages from coaches, fans, uh, players, and parents that uh, send in so much information because Dan Garnell is a huge force and goes out to so many different games and is really the driver of the content that people see on the online platforms. And then in 2021, he uh, approached me to kind of give voice because he's not a very public person. So he wanted me to come on and kind of give voice to all the different things that are going on because there's so many different layers. I mean, we have an explosion of summer amateur soccer on top of the rising youth game. And we'll get into a little bit later, but some of the things I want to touch about are just the girls game. There's girls going pro, uh, some on the youth national team. We've got players going abroad from the women's game. To your point, I got excited just talking about it. But yeah, youth, amateur, professional, we've got it all here in the Great Lakes State. For sure. You know, it, it's good to see so much passion for covering the beautiful game. Fletcher, you know, it's funny because in our Slack, sometimes you will share with me things from around the state. And I know you've been, you know, kind of watching things for a while. What is it that is so interesting to you about the Michigan soccer scene? Honestly, when I kind of jumped into it was about like 12 years ago or so when DCFC, AFC and Arbor, Lansing United, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, before even before Muskegon, when everyone kind of was just coming up. And it was kind of cool just to see 
teams for different cities that were like close. Typically, you see teams in the MPSL. It's like well, there's a team in Arkansas who plays a team in you know Columbus, and it's like yeah, of course. Or the cool part is they get to travel across the country. But to see so many teams in Michigan with so many quality players, it was great to just have like your own little pro league, albeit not in the pro circuit. You have people who go to school together, who play together on college teams, who are now rivals. Uh, you have rivals in colleges who play together with people who they're now teammates with over the summer. And just, you know, the games between DCFC Ann Arbor or DCFC Lansing or Lansing Ann Arbor or Grand Rapids Ann Arbor, it was just great to see that that could happen an hour or so or 20 minutes or so or whatever from your house. Even though the players weren't necessarily professional quality, some ended up being eventually. It was just a great energetic thing. And that's, for me, the one downside of uh, the current landscape is there's a lot of great teams in that way. There's a Midwest Premier League that has its own league like that. But in terms of like the national stage of it, it kind of went down a little bit. The players are there, which is still great because you get to see people, you know, who went to your high school or went to a school by your high school or something like that, not playing pro. But it's magical to me just to see, you know, teams around and to get fan bases, not just all one monolith, but you have fans for Ann Arbor, you have fans for Lansing, you have fans for Detroit, just their own, like, my city's better than your city type of thing. And I appreciate that because, you know, in the end, we all live in the same state and we all, you know, want the best for the sport in the state of Michigan. You know, longtime Detroit City fans, there's a lot of them who kind of think wistfully back to the days when we were playing those kind of teams, right? Because there is something very personal about it, something about, you know, you can go over to Grand Rapids or you can go over to Ann Arbor or Lansing or whatever and, you know, root for your team and that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, if there's one change of going up a level, is it that isn't as much anymore? So, Robert, I want to ask you, you know, people see one side of, of soccer down here in, in Metro Detroit but there are even within Metro Detroit, there are teams that have followings. There are teams that have great followings all, all over the state, right? That have fans that are excited about it. Yeah, I think some of the fan bases that are still going now are hastened back to those days that Fletcher referenced, those NPSL days. And that's kind of morphed. One of the things I say about it's probably true in all lower league soccer, but the vibrant amateur soccer and now professional is that the one constant in it is that it's always changing like the landscape in 2023 is pretty dissimilar from last year and in the year before that and then when i've moved back to michigan and kind of started this journey of digging into all the soccer that was here because i left chicago which was chock full of soccer and i moved back here in 2016 and wanted to learn and i just found you know layer upon layer upon layer of it and always changing, like to to trace back the history of teams and leagues is is pretty convoluted. So now those leagues that had those relationships that the NPSL and Detroit City have are in the USL two, where that league has Oakland County FC, which is based in Clawson Royal Oak, and then there's the Flint City Bucks, and then AFC Ann Arbor, and there's Lansing and uh, Midwest United, which is out in Grand Rapids, and then they just added South Bend, Indiana. So that's local. But then Fletcher mentioned also Midwest Premier League that has 17 Michigan-based clubs in uh, a whole conference of teams based, all, uh, 17 out of the 18 teams in the Great Lakes Conference in the Midwest Premier League are based in Michigan. Wow. So there's actually going to be a 
champion of the Great Lakes Conference this year, which I went to the Midwest Premier League uh, general meeting a couple weeks back and really nerded out. It was like two and a half days surrounded by people who, who, who got the crackpot idea to start their own teams and run teams. That was fantastic. It's layering more density to the game. If you look at Europe and other places, like every city has at least one team, and even small cities can have multiple teams. And so we're getting to that point, like in the Great Lakes East, there's AIM from Dearborn, Cedars from Dearborn, Detroit Union that plays in Waterford, Inter Detroit playing on the south edge of Detroit. And then there's also got teams that are completely different in concepts and spawned from other teams. Uh, Former DCFC players have started a team that's in the northern edge of Detroit called Liquid Football. And then there's youth teams that are trying to get into that elite amateur adult ranks, which they never used to. So that's another evolution, like the Michigan Jaguars who play out in Novi. And then there's a whole division of teams out in places like Holland and Grand Rapids, Battle Creek, and a variety of teams. So adding like a hyper local factor back into Michigan soccer that might be what you said deserted on those Detroit City FC fans that's still live and well. It's just morphed into different leagues and different places. And the the NPSL that was so popular five years ago only has one Michigan-based team left now in Carpathia. There was two last year, but uh, from all accounts, it looks like Muskegon isn't playing in the summer. So to my point is that the one constant, uh, actually there's probably two constants is there's always going to be change and the Bucks always have a chance for a national championship. <laughs> you know, I'm flipping through the Midwest premier league website and I had to laugh to myself, you know, talking about change in general, although not Michigan, I was clicking through and all of a sudden I see Chicago house AC and I'm like thinking back to the Nisa days when we played house AC and like, to see those levels and the things shift around, I'm like, oh, that's where they went. That's kind of some of the fun of lower league soccer is the ups and downs and the coming together. And then another fun thing about it is seeing the players rise through the ranks, right? Oh, yeah. Two of the players that play for Oakland County FC have actually gone on to professional levels. So that's a, a good point. Alex Delu got signed to uh, Gold Star FC. I got to see him play at Royal Oak High School Stadium for Oakland County FC as well as uh, Alex Steinwasher, who's in the the Steinwasher clan with uh, Nate Steinwasher. He got signed for Union Omaha. So um, that's cool to see them progress up the ladder. You know, you get those stories. I remember when they played back for my team. And that's kind of how I got energized into it, is that upped my level of interest in the local scene when OCFC moved to Clawson right in my backyard. So I've been a lifelong soccer fan, but then... I finally got my own local and I've been a diehard ever since. It's really great. And then the, the approaches and the history of it are completely varied. Like Carpathia has been around for generations. Some of the other teams in the Midwest Premier League in the Chicago area, like Adria or Bavarians, Milwaukee, they go back, you know, nearly a hundred years. But then one of the new teams in the Midwest Premier League is Troy United. And these guys are like in their young twenties and the team's only two years old. And they're taking this step into this elite amateur world. So it's pretty cool. And in another step towards the landscape changing, this time last year, Gold Star FC, the new expansion team in NISA, wasn't even a thing that was talked about. So there's no standing pat in the amateur soccer world in Michigan because <laughs> there's always another thing coming. Oh, for sure, for sure. Before we take a step forward, I always have to say this whenever they're brought up because a lot of people don't know this story. RWB Adria in Chicago, uh, one of my favorite teams period back when they were in the u.s open cup before their owner said 
we can't afford to travel anymore. They came to Michigan. They beat DCFC in penalty kicks. They then went to play the Michigan Bucks, who are now the Flint City Bucks, and beat them in penalty kicks. Beat them one nothing in extra time. And their owner, Ante Lockhart, came up to me and was like, oh, you covered both these games. Typically, when we get to the U.S. Open Cup, we play the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. We lose in penalty kicks. We've done that three years in a row. I'm sick of it. So we get finally get someone else covering the games, and we win. He's like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, well, I have school. <laughs> and he's like, perfect. You're coming with us. And I was like, funny, ha-ha. And he snapped his fingers, and the entire roster picked me up and carried me to the bus. And I was like, no, for real, I have school. Please put me down. Like, this is not cool. <laughs> like, I appreciate, he's like, you come, you come to Chicago, let us know. We have a, big, we have a big Croatian feast for you. And, like, they weren't kidding. But one of the cool things about lower-level soccer, and just not just Michigan, but the entire country, is, like, you'll find small teams like Adria that are, like, ethnically based. So, like, they have, like, rich history. Like, Carpatia in Michigan, they're a German-based team. So, like, maybe the players aren't from Germany, but you'll see, like, the ha German heritage when you get there and the things that they do. I went there. They have the big Das boots that you drink out of. It's really cool. I know a lot of people like to see, like, the top-level stuff, but, like, at the lower levels, I don't want to say you look under rocks because that feels offensive. But, like, if you look around, you'll definitely find little diamonds uh, that suit everyone's needs, whether it's play style, whether it's just, you know, relating to ethnicity, whether it's just, I don't know, just you like the way their jerseys look. You like the team name, like Tulip City in Holland. Pretty cool sounding name. I know it's because Holland in Michigan, famous for their tulips, but it's a really wacky but wonderful world of lower level soccer. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, you know, it's a, a league below DCFC, but one of my favorite crests and everything else is uh, Forward Madison. And like, it's a flamingo in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Like, I'm all about it. And I enjoy watching <laughs> the team, you know? The other thing, not just the teams, but also the players. Fletcher, like with the game that we'll talk about at the end of the show, there are ties even with local Michigan soccer as people go up. And just like in some of the other sports, you can find players and trace their path up and see them do some amazing things. And in fact, you know, that loss that was handed to LaRouge was handed to us by people with you know, we were talking about this Lansing Ignite roots, right? Yeah. The goal scorer, Jackson Kensanzu, goes by Simba on the back. It's his middle name. Former player for AFC and Arbor, center back, was there last year. Head coach for San Diego Loyal, Nate Miller, former head coach of Lansing United and Lansing Ignite. Ebenezer Akon, center back, former Lansing United center back. Nick Moon, uh, one of their wing players, former Lansing Ignite wing player, Tumi Moshabane, who's become a star in the USL championship, uh, former Lansing United attacking mid, former Lansing Ignite attacking mid, was all league and USL League One. So, like, you look many places and you'll find roots in Michigan. One of my favorite ones, because one of my favorite players I've ever seen, used to play for Ann Arbor, Dario Suarez, currently of FC Tulsa. There's, like, a rule in soccer, for those who don't know, like, when you score, you don't run up to the fans because... People don't like that, apparently. But when he was in Tulsa and they scored against Detroit in Hamtramck, he ran by the fans and all the fans were like, OK. And there are some newer fans who are like, why is that OK? It's like, because that's Dario Suarez. He does that to us. We just accept it. Like that happens before other people were like, boo. But him, it's like, OK, he does this. It's like the seventh time he scored on us in his career. All right. <laughs> you can do that. Nobody else can. It's the cool ways of just you look around and you see like, oh, this player, he looks familiar. Why is he familiar? Oh, he played for the Flint City Bucks. 
Oh, he spent some time in Kalamazoo. It's just really, really interesting to see these players, the paths they take to get to where they are, especially with the Bucks, because the Bucks are one of the, I think, the only team in lower level soccer history who for every level of the uh, MLS draft that's been around, they've had a player who's played with them at least for a few games selected. It's a wild stat to have, but the draft's been around, I think, 25, 26 years. That means there's at least 25 or 26 players who spent at least three or four games playing with the Bucks who got drafted that night. These are all amazing stories, but I also want to spend some time on the women's game because when it comes to the United States, the women's game is a huge deal. I remember meeting Mia Hamm, actually, up at the Mackinac Policy Conference and just seeing all the people around the people who are interested in it. And I think sometimes, you know, people who follow you know, more of like the big four sports, they sometimes don't understand that the women's game in so many ways is where it's at. And Michigan is big in the women's game too, isn't it, Robert? Yeah, that's probably the biggest stories right now in Michigan soccer are coming from the women's side of the game. Now, you guys mentioned it on your show and I'm working on getting her on Michigan Soccer Central podcast, but uh, Chloe Ricketts, the 15-year-old from uh, Dexter, Michigan, being the youngest NWSL contract signee. And she played in USLW last year. I remember, I think she had the goal of the month for June last year. She hit a banger against Flint. We got news that she went on trial and then just, I think it was two Fridays ago, got the announcement that she was going pro, which is outstanding. And then two of my favorite interviews, I think, that I've done for the show were from the women's side. Another youngster in the same club, the Jaguars, also Amalia Villarreal. She represented the USA in a youth women's World Cup last year and scored a goal in the Women's World Cup. And she was considered the number one player in the Jaguars. She elected to go to University of Texas. And then the other one went professional. So some amazing talent coming out of Michigan. But I shouldn't overlook that one of my other favorite interviews was with Bethany Balser, who comes from the west side of Michigan. She, I believe it was Spring Arbor University. She was the first NAIA collegiate athlete to get an NWSL contract. And uh, she signed an extension last year with the Rain in Seattle. I think she has professional contract until 2025. And she's done so well as a forward out there that uh, she's gotten a couple calls into the U.S. Women's National Team camp and even got an appearance. If she has another good year, you could see her as maybe a dark horse candidate to make the Women's World Cup squad here this summer. And in just in general here this summer on a league basis, the spring season on the men's side was a USL 2 Midwest Premier League, NPSL and others. But on the women's side, there's a multitude of elite amateur women's action with USLW, which will feature the Ann Arbors, Cleveland, Detroit City FC, Flint City, Kalamazoo, and Midwest United. So the women's side in the summer is going to kind of have that same throwback to those NPSL days. And then uh, there's the UWS, which has been in the state for a few years. And then there's even a third elite amateur women's league going on that was announced recently called the Michigan's Women's Super League, which will feature the likes of Corktown, Michigan Burn, Rebels, Cap City. And so those are more youth teams trying to break into those more senior or adult teams, which is rare. So in the last few years, we've seen the addition of professional, obviously with DCFC and NISA, but also there hasn't necessarily until the last couple of years been an impetus for the youth clubs to feature adult teams. So that's been a, an evolution of the last few years, which has been interesting. I mean, especially on the women's where, you know, 
the American soccer, they say it's a little bit fractured and there's some big black holes and the path is a little mixed up. Going back to that Bethany Balser interview, she reveals that if it wouldn't have been for her college coach going way above and beyond calling all these different trial camps and uh, professional, like, uh, you know, preseason stuff, she probably would never have gotten a shot. She had a prolific NAIA career, didn't get drafted. She eventually was invited to the preseason camp in Seattle and showed so well that she earned herself that contract. So it just goes to show that if she didn't have that coach that was going above and beyond to make all those calls, she may not have even had a professional career, never mind, you know, getting in in the conversation about the U.S. women's team. So very exciting stuff, but a long way to go in the infrastructure on the women's side. For sure. For sure. You know, a lot of fans might wonder, like, what are a couple of ways or teams or something like that if they, they're saying, hey, you know, I want to watch more of the women's game in Michigan. Maybe they have daughters who play or they're just interested or they used to play. Where are a couple easy tabs for people to like get into the women's game? Honestly, right now, I'd say Michigan Soccer Central is a great place to start at MI Soccer Central across all the social media platforms because we really do try to uh, promote or I don't know if promote's the right word, but uh, similar to you guys, expose people to the happenings that are going on. So on Michigan Soccer Central, you're going to see calendars of uh, all of the upcoming tryouts, but uh, you'll see updates for both youth and the amateur teams. And then every step along the way, uh, we produce graphics that show like the weekends, games, and the upcoming maybe rivalry matches and a little bit of uh, digestible information to let people understand what level of play they're seeing, whether it be UWS, USL women's or uh, in the, the, the youth game. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, I look at teams and I kind of like look at what's going on and I kind of pick a corner and start pulling, you know, and, and that's part of the, the fun, you know, even with lower league soccer in general, you know, I, people might not know, but I... I discovered Detroit City FC years ago and have been going to games for a long time. But, you know, I discovered them when I was uh, going to a, an event at the TV lounge near where they used to play at Cass. The bar was right behind the the stands and get a ticket, wander into the stands, have a great time. And it's part of what brought me to the club originally in that lower league state. So I encourage people, you know, to go check out a team, maybe something that's near them. You know, we've talked so much about the general game. I kind of want to talk about you a little bit, Robert, in that podcasting is a uh, challenging thing. It's not, not everybody is cut out for podcasting. It it seems easy that you're just like talking on a microphone, but in fact, there's a lot of prep and a lot of other things. Robert, why did you sign up for this? Why did you decide to do, to do podcasting and do this? Well, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a funny question. It's like many things people are doing now. It was a bit of a, a COVID project. Um, Myself and uh, Dan Garnell, uh, we had talked before. He, like I said at the top of our conversation, he's kind of the, the 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 mastermind behind Michigan Soccer Central, and he was doing a lot. He posted a lot, but through conversations, he, he wanted a bit more of a front-facing uh, voice to the account. So I agreed to do that because I I had been writing. Um, I came into the the lower league soccer scene uh, via writing. And then kind of doubled down doing more when Oakland County FC came uh, to Clawson. I started being their staff writer in addition to um, the last word on sports. And I realized that in, in a previous life, I did have a, a, a radio uh, uh, background, but I'm jumping around the story a little bit. So the first day uh, when I was the, the staff writer for Oakland County FC, 
uh, the the play by play guy didn't show up for the game for the stream. And so, you know, spontaneously, I did the play by play for the, <laughs> of the the I think it was Oakland County FC versus the Indiana Old Boys. And the boys was spelled B-H-O-I-S. Irish. That I don't think that team is around anymore, but uh, I kind of uh, fell in love with kind of radio and using my voice for things there. Kind of that re-brought me back towards, uh, you know, speaking. And then I, because the, the season after that, I was the, the PA announcer for Oakland County FC. And then I kind of started appearing on protagonist soccer podcasts. And then when Dan asked me, you know, do you want to do a regular project? Um, I said, you know, sure, why not? I, I I don't know if I envisioned uh, doing it like once or twice a week for years, but uh, I kept on doing it. I still keep on in my mind, keep on adding people to the list of people I want to talk to because the show ordinarily is uh, um, I come on and read kind of the news and headlines that you could find on uh, the Michigan Soccer Central pages. And then I have one or two guest interviews and I've done um, players, coaches, I've really enjoyed talking to reporters. I've had Nolan Bianchi, the Detroit News sports writer, who does a great job covering city. I've had um, Phil Friend, Lansing State Journal, does a great job and actually um, gave me a lot of good info on Amelia Villarreal, who is from the Lansing area, as well as Zoe Morse, who I didn't mention, who is a Lansing native who uh, recently got a contract in the Women's Super League professional game in uh, in England, playing for Brighton and Hove Albion. And um, just the networking of all of it all is fantastic because I realized at a point that most of my friends that I've made in the adult in my adult life have all stemmed from soccer in some way. And so uh, doing this and getting to know more people and talking to, you know, at least 150, 200 more people than I ordinarily would have, uh, you know, has had made me richer in uh, um, the network of soccer that I, I love. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a direct answer, but uh, I guess I just enjoy talking to soccer people. To wind this down, uh, let's talk a little bit about the most recent soccer news, a little bit more of the fair on Daily Detroit, because we do a lot of coverage of Detroit City FC because of our geographic focus. And, you know, Daily Detroit, we kind of spread our audience, right? We're not a specific soccer podcast. We are a general audience show that talks about what to know and where to go in Metro Detroit. And Detroit City is an integral part of all of that. I think we need to talk a little bit about that game against San Diego Loyal over the weekend and get some initial thoughts. I've got feelings. Fletcher, uh, yeah, what are you thinking? The house isn't on fire, obviously, but that wasn't great. It was kind of a carbon copy of last year's one nothing loss. It was against a good Western Conference team. Um, they played really well for 89-plus minutes. They had about 15, 30 seconds of just not great defending. Kind of fluky but well-taken goal scored against them that ended up doing them in. It's literally what happened last year with San Antonio, except instead of it being 15 seconds, it was like six. The difference is, for me, though, last year was more of like, it's a good moral, you know, I don't really believe in moral moral victories or silver linings, but, you know, at least this is our first game. They're kind of getting their feet underneath them, I understand. I don't have that same empathy this year. So while you are getting some moving pieces put together, um, most of your starting lineup was there last year, and the pieces that weren't have been training with you all off season. There's been no visa issues for them. There's been nothing why they shouldn't be there. Uh, so everyone who was there knew exactly what they were doing, just didn't get it done. 
Um, there wasn't enough offensive pressure. I know a lot of fans have been clamoring, like, they need another striker. They need a 20. They could have, like, the reincarnation of Pele up top. It does not matter with the style that they play. 20 goals, 30 goals, 40 goals, strike, goal-scoring strikers not going to make a difference in the front of that team because they don't play with someone. They, they don't play the way that makes them rely on someone to need to score a bunch of have the ball at their feet and score a bunch of goals. The way they play is getting the ball down the sides, up quickly, and then into the box to somebody. Whoever somebody is is okay. It's not like if you put some guy who scored 35 goals in the season last year, it's going to all of a sudden make their offense like shoot up. We saw that last year uh, with Antoine Hopineau, who pretty good goal scorer, but not prolific by any means, uh, stepping into one role and becoming like very important. But people still forget the leading goal scorer for last year, uh, right after Hopano, was Maxi Rodriguez. And it was literally just because of penalty kicks and late runs. Same with Pato, who scored some goals, but a lot of them were like, I happened to find this ball bouncing in the box six times. It happened to fall to my feet, and I can tap it in. An oopsie, as I like to call it, which is what I'm famous for scoring when I play, is the goals where the ball just happens to appear, and I'm right there, and it's perfect. So, I mean, they'll sort some things out going forward. But like if you if you're one of the people who's like if they would have signed such and such instead of you're going to be mad at the way the game ended. Well, I'll, I'll premise this by saying I, I love the fact that uh, we've been able to add uh, professional soccer to the coverage due to, you know, all the success and reaching this level that uh, Detroit has done. That said, I'd say the highlight of this past Saturday's game was probably the new kits that they debuted um the those mint green ones the the spirit of detroit uh what you call them, minty greens right there's la rouge and la mint or la verdigris i like the jerseys the best part of the evening to fletcher's point it was very much a mirror image of uh the debut game of the season last year but this year i think the expectations are considerably different and i i, I didn't think i'd feel this way but i thought that uh the, the loss of hope no i think might be huge I'll save my full judgment on the the off season and additions until we see Ben Morris. I don't know what kind of player he is, so I'm hoping that he brings some mobility. Because uh, without Hopeno, I didn't see a lot of guys that can have some dynamism, cover a lot of ground, making make something out of nothing. It was all very um, standing still, hopeful things. Obviously, they're not 100% on the same page with each other. There was a lot of Ball, long balls to runs that didn't happen and or great crosses that went across the box and there wasn't anyone t- to, to touch in at the back. So it was a bit of a rough watch because, you know, I don't think everyone, both sides weren't quite up to full speed. I think I do um, want to note is uh, that Skage, uh Simonson could be an interesting addition. I think he might bring a slightly different skill set than was in the the locker than last year. Um, he he kind of had some interesting touches and he brought the ball down to his body a little bit differently than the, the other Detroit City FC players. So he could be an interesting addition. I want to see Morris and I, I hope Cy Goddard uh, grows into a creative player that takes some brave moves and tries to be aggressive. But there wasn't a lot of that on Saturday. Yeah, Skage had the their best chance to score a goal, in my opinion. A ball came into the box. He had a nice little spin for someone who's 6'3", 6'4", the size that he is, and got a shot off. Would have liked for him to, you know, get that on frame as opposed to not. 
But for him to even get a spinoff like that in the box with that little bit of room with someone as big as he is, that's a really intriguing prospect to have because as he's, as he's shown with, with Loudon, as he's shown in a few friendlies here, uh, he can play with a little bit of pace. Not much. He's not, you know, going to run by everyone on the field. But he's very quick with his feet, and he's like a battering ram. Uh, Stephen Carroll and Matt Lewis said that last year, and it's part of the reason why they brought him in is he was tough to defend because he just kept coming, and he was big and strong, and he's quick enough to you know make the defenders have to think a few times before they step in. I think he will play a big part. He's going to be playing a bit of a different role than the way he was at uh, Loudon, which is we're going to try to hope to expect. At Loudon, he's more of a setup man because they really needed really needed a setup man because they didn't really have anything over there. Um, whereas now we'll be counting on him probably to put the ball in the net as opposed to passing it to people. But to have someone who can do both is really good. I think he's going to try to fill into the Hopeno role, not as much as Hopeno was because Hopeno played more on the ground than above the, than in the air. You need someone who can start something. And I know at the beginning of the season, all the preseason hype, he was one of the people who they thought would be like a trigger man in that regard. So here's to hoping he can step into that. Here's to hoping that against El Paso, they can find some spaces to exploit, to try to find some goals. Because if not, it's going to be a real long season. I want to see a goal before we get back to Keyworth. I appreciate the addition of Simonson because he brings some physicality that they just didn't really have last year. I remember being on the sideline and seeing them just get pushed out. And so Steven's point about bringing him in, I think is really, really smart, but something's got to get started because this team feels so much like last year's team. I've got a request of Fletcher Nostradamus prediction uh, to see if the team has truly changed from last year. Cause there was two oddities of Detroit city 2022 that they went the entire season without a red card or without uh, a goal from outside of the box. In your opinion, uh, gentlemen, I'll hear from both of you. Do they have, uh, have they added anything to where they might get either of those feats? I could see the red card. Yeah. There were some points uh, over the weekend that there was frustration there. So I could see the red card for sure. Honestly, last year, I'm surprised they avoided not picking up two yellows in a game, uh, specifically early with Devin Amumensa, who I love, but he's like a bull in a china shop sometimes. And Michael Bryant, who is prone to frustration at times. There's a game in particular I'm thinking with Maxi Rodriguez where like he was very determined to pick up a yellow card and then was talking right after he picked it up. And I'm like, they're definitely going to send him walking. So somehow he avoided that. And that's great. Um, I can see a red card as well. Giving up a goal from outside the box. It's kind of a hard thing to do. And when a team is as stout defensively as Detroit City FC, uh, it's very hard to take shots from deep because there's typically going to be bodies in front of you. It's going to have to come down to someone shaking a few people and doing that. A goal from outside the box? No. A goal from maybe a foot directly on the line? Sure. I'll see I see that, but from outside it's it's very hard to do that unless we're talking about a free kick, in which case it's kind of just a coin flip. All right. Thank you so much everyone. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful time. We went a little bit longer than we normally do, but we had a very special guest and we're kind of fitting into you know another format too because you know there's so much that's covered over at the Michigan Soccer Central podcast. And it's always so good to see success and and people doing the things and following their passion in this medium. And of course, with the beautiful game. Yeah, I'm really uh, glad that we got to to do this episode together. And uh, big reason why is um, obviously 
Um, we cover both of our shows cover much separate topics, but uh, they kind of coalesce here uh, with one spot with Detroit City FC. I'm so excited to share this episode with you because I have uh, you've been shining a light on so many different things restaurants, uh, events, and whatnot. And I've pursued and listened to podcasts based on guests on your program. I've, and I've gone to restaurants um, and, and, and tried some, some cocktails based on the things you guys have talked about on your show. So I'm hoping that uh, your listeners and uh, uh, Jer and Fletcher, hopefully uh, you guys might uh, dip into something that uh, I've talked about or Michigan Soccer Central has covered and maybe venturing out and covering a, a non-DCFC game. Maybe one of these times it needs to be a time when you're out there too, so that we can all uh, spend some time together and, uh, you know, kind of enjoy it all together. I'm planning on being at just as many Detroit City FC games. My home base is uh, Oakland County FC, and uh, I got to throw it in there. One of my favorite things as a soccer supporter is about to wrap up uh, the fans and uh, season ticket buyers got to vote on the kit design for Oakland County FC's uh, new kits. So uh, that'll be coming out soon. And so uh, maybe you could come out to uh, one of uh, the games out in Royal Oak and see those new kits and come see me and my uh, soccer element. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I always love a fresh look. And Royal Oak is uh, always a fun place to visit. Fletcher Sharp, always good to talk to you, sir. It's good to be wanted. On behalf of Daily Detroit, on behalf of Michigan Soccer Central, and our joint audiences, thank you so much for listening. Remember to take care of each other. Remember that you are somebody, and we'll see you around Michigan. Enjoy your soccer, everybody. to the guys from Daily Detroit for making this episode, this 100th episode, so special. Big thanks to Jenny Hajnaki, the editor of this program, for putting in the uh, the work over uh, this whole time. I think edited just about every episode of the 100 so far. So big thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much. Couldn't have put together all these episodes without you. And thank you to Dan Garnell for bringing me on board. I didn't think I'd be doing it uh, two years later, but uh, having a great time. And thank you to the entirety of the Michigan Soccer Central core team. And thank you to you, the listener, and all the guests. I really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait for uh, more interviews to come. Shed more light on the... uh, wonderfully complicated and exuberant Michigan soccer scene. So until next week, everybody, please enjoy your soccer.